Hi, this is Marjan Love, the author of The Temptation Saga and the host of Marjan's Musings on Cape Ann Television. Today is my very first podcast at Cape Ann's beautiful new podcast studio. We're coming to you via Podbean. It's kind of exciting. This week, we're going to be shooting the 36th episode of Marjan's Musings, which means once I get it edited and on the air, we will dive into our fourth year. I can't imagine that, but that's what happened. Anyway, I have some ideas. I'm an author, and a whole lot of people ask me, well, what's the book about? That's not a kind of topic that's very good for a television show because there's no visuals. You're talking about ideas, concepts, training that you took, where your characters came from, how you got your plot. And so one of my teachers and mentors, Diana Gabaldon, the uh, author of the now famous Outlander series, took me under her wing about 10 years ago and said to me, Marjan, you are a writer. Don't write one book and go to a publisher. Make a cast of characters with definite character arcs and take them through time. Think of the old stories of Laurel and Hardy or the Pink Panther or any kind of vignette where the core characters move from situation to situation and the plot is driven by the people they encounter or the situations that they have to deal with. So that was the theme for how the Temptation Saga was pieced together from disparate books because I got this idea, oh, I could make this one long epic tale. And so that's what I did. That's why it's called a saga. If you print the thing out, which I have, because in the old days, computers were not all that reliable and you could have critical crashes. My stack of manuscript is measured in feet, not inches. So I thought we would start today with where did the core character that's in all six books come from? Those of you that watch the television show, Marjan's Musings, will know that I worked for 27 years as an occupational therapist. In my early career down in Philadelphia, I worked at the Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute on the locked unit, which was the place that they put patients who they felt were either a danger to themselves or to others. And uh, a colleague of mine described the place as an eight-hour shift punctuated by two 15-minute periods of absolute insanity where the furniture could go flying or you might have to do a four-point takedown and put someone in leather cuffs at wrists and ankles and manacle them to a bed. Or if it was a little female that was just losing it all over the place, they would wind up in a locked seclusion room with nothing in it but some water, a little toilet, and a mattress on the floor. These were people that were literally crazy. And one of the young inmates who was there my first year out of college caught my attention 
she was sweet and pretty and funny, and she would change into someone haughty or someone sarcastic and snide and nasty or someone weepy and clingy and dependent. And I never knew when I went to say hello to her who I was going to talk to next. And I asked the psychiatrist I was working with at the time, you know, what was going on? And he said, she's a very unusual case. I'm going to do an entire in-service for our staff on her. We need to protect her. She is a suicide risk, and she's very likely going to try to injure herself, cut herself. We have to be very careful. At the time, I was working as an occupational therapist, and we in the state hospital systems in Pennsylvania, did a whole lot of crafts with our patients and expressive art. We ran the sports programs. We had horticulture. We had pet therapy. We did all the outings. We took patients who were almost ready to be released out to swimming pools and such in the community so that they could re-enter. We helped people set up housekeeping in supported living situations, made sure that they had what they needed to function in the kitchen, the living room, and the bedroom, so that they had the supplies they needed when they were released so that they wouldn't fail and wind up right back in the hospital. And the doctor cautioned me, If you're going to work with her, I want you to work with her one-on-one, and I want you to be very careful about toxins and sharps. So she was a unique case for me because even with the violent patients, we typically took them in pairs or in groups of three. And so I would work with this girl a great deal, and um, he explained to us that she had a rare condition known as multiple personality disorder. And I was fascinated with it. I went to the hospital library and read everything I could get my hands on. I was deeply distressed that at that time the condition was considered to be incurable. It was a developmental disability that resulted from childhood torture. It gave me a very uh, strong empathy reaction to this young woman who was only about, I don't know, maybe five foot one, five foot two. She must have weighed 105 pounds soaking wet. And like I said, she was a lovely looking girl, very pretty. Fast forward 30 years, and my husband is stationed in Iraq and it's still a war zone, and, you know, there's beheadings going on, and the nightly death count on CNN. And I had an entire 14 months by myself in our house with the company of an old golden retriever and an old Sony Vio computer, and I wrote and wrote and wrote. And for the empathy factor that I felt for this young woman, I decided I was going to name her Marge, which is not her real name, and I was going to explore what it was like for her to exist in the world. And 
I decided I would blend Marge and myself so that I could put real-life vignettes from my life as well as things that I learned from her long stay at the hospital happened to her in her life. And so my core character for the Temptation Saga is named Marge, and she has multiple personality disorder, which comes in many levels of disability. When people are really, really decompensated, they switch from one personality to another, and they don't remember any other personality. And then they'll switch to a different personality, and they've lost an interval of time. They cannot remember what they did. So for your edification, because I think when you're dealing with a saga, it goes on for a couple thousand pages, it can get confusing. Who's speaking and what are they saying? I brought in um, the character sheet for the Marge Mosaic. And this is a tool that I found on Scrivener. And it starts with the role in the story. So the Marge Mosaic is the core character of the entire Temptation Saga. When we first meet her, she's a matron writer. Later, as we travel back through time to look at her life, she's a high school student and a stock clerk in a pharmacy. And then, as the book progresses, she becomes a spirit traveler. Her physical description, she's a Caucasian brunette with black coffee eyes, and she colors her hair all different colors. She has multiple personality, and she's very bright, adaptable, affectionate. <clears throat> she's sensual, but she's terrified of sex. Her background, <clears throat> she's a frequently shifted foster child with no firm core identity. Her father left her manic depressive mother when she was two. She's a victim of child abuse. She's very lonely and she has strong abandonment issues. You'll find out about her external conflicts, the people she encountered and what happened to her if you read the book. But it's kind of interesting for me to be able to share with people here on Cape Ann, who I think are the ones that are going to be listening to the podcast, who the sub-personas are. So the next sub-persona is Marie. She's a hot culture model. She works on a runway in a prestigious uh, department store. And she was an avid child student of the French language. Physical description. She's anorexic with a beautiful face and haunting eyes. Her personality is ultra-feminine. She has a French cultural identity. She's shy, but determined to get what she wants through hard work and self-sacrifice. The second persona is Maria. She speaks Spanish fairly fluently. She acts as a mediator. 
She's a chubby brunette with mischievous black coffee eyes. She's caring, engaging, and very domestic. Her habits and mannerisms, she's very Hispanic, and she loves to dance. The next personality is very strongly based on this girl that I knew in the mental hospital. Her name is Marsha. She's the designated torture victim for the Marge Mosaic. She is the persona that suffers the pain when being beaten, burned, cut, locked in closets, or sexually abused. And this young woman had the family that put the fun into dysfunctional. They tortured this poor child. And so this was the persona that the psychiatrist at Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute was very worried about. He was afraid that if she got into this persona without staff support, she might cut herself or even kill herself. And so I would not take her off the unit when she was in that state of mind. She was obsequious, very submissive. She'd do anything you said. She was nonverbal, completely nonverbal. She didn't speak, which made traditional psychotherapy very difficult because that depends on verbal interaction. And this poor sub-persona of this young woman was mute. She was silent. And he told us that he thought she was threatened into silence. The next sub-persona is she. It's all caps. S-H-E. She is a very powerful suffragette sort of person. She's a little butchy, works out, lifts weights, eats very carefully. She's a non-smoker, although she does drink occasionally to excess. Her role in the Marge Mosaic is she's a protector, a defender, if the body of the March Mosaic is in danger, she steps up to the plate and fights. She's an interesting character, and you get to meet her in the very first book. And then there's Johnny, and the Johnny character is a bit confusing. Her name is originally spelled J-O-H-N-N-I-E. And as we meet young Marge in 1966, Johnny doesn't exist yet. She comes into being when Marie takes a job as a model in um, a salon where there's a runway. And nasty men hang out there to try to seduce or purchase the young models. And so this Johnny character shows up to defend Marie because she, the diva, cannot be trusted. 
She's violent and aggressive, and she's not cultured. And Marie needs to maintain this sheen of professionalism. So Johnny steps up to the plate and defends Marie from the threat of an ugly pockmarked man who's always scouting for virgins. And you'll find more about Stinky Stephen in Saigon's Deadly Game. I think that's enough characters to start out with. There are more characters hidden away inside the Marge Mosaic, but we don't meet them in the first book. Who we do meet is Medic Captain Derek Martle Johnson, who's modeled after someone that I knew back in the 60s, and his buddy and sidekick, Major Sam Davis, who's search and rescue recon with his canine core dog, Trigger. If that hasn't perked your interest to find out more about these characters and the evil villains that they have to cope with, I'm not sure what to say. Anyway, we'll join you again and tell you more about the saga on our next podcast. In the meantime, wish us luck in starting year four of Marjan's Musings on Cape Ann Television 